Before we begin our episode on Mother of Toads, we would like to take a moment to warn you that there is sexual violence in this story. I have called up in all my years of sorcery, no god or devil, ominous and gibbous, and the thing was a streaming ooze of charnel graves. It is fairly known by few, there were people, but it's mostly priests and women, it is told, whom he picked up as they fled, and pulled limb from limb as a child might quarter an insect. The Double double Shadow, shadow. Clark Clark Ashton Smith Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Double Shadow, a podcast exploring the weird fiction of 20th century writer Clark Ashton Smith. I'm Tim. I'm Phil. And I'm Ruth. And in this episode, we'll be covering Mother of Toads. I'm super excited about this. This is a story we've been talking about almost since we started the podcast, behind the scenes, when we speak behind the scenes. Yeah, our email chains, which number in the thousands at this point, reference Mother of Toads quite frequently. It's such a freaky story. It's one of those times where Clark Ashton Smith gets very visceral. Grotesque. Yes. It's like when he conjured up the landscape in Rendezvous and Averon, only much, much grosser. A much different landscape. I would say more squamous, but squamous actually just means scaly-ish, so... It just sounds like the right word for this, but it's not. Betrachian is, though. Betrachian is definitely the right word for this story. There's a lot of Betrachian in this. <laughs> There's a lot of Betrachian. It's the word of the day. If I say Batrachian. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Mother of Toads. It was first published in the July 1938 issue of Weird Tales, which is four years after our previous Averon episode, The Disinterment of Venus. At this point, at the time anyway that it's published, Lovecraft, Howard are both dead. I'm trying to remember, were there references to it in anything with Lovecraft or not? Because Lovecraft would have died in 37 and he could have been. This was a much revised story at the time. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I, don't, I don't remember if there are any references, if he read it before he died or not. I don't know. Now, this was a story that he had a bit of trouble selling. He wrote in a letter from May of 1937 to R.H. Barlow, Mother of Toads is a sort of carnal and erotic nightmare, and I can't decide on its merits. Spicy mystery stories rejected it after holding the manuscript for nearly two months. I have now shipped it to Esquire, which, judging from the two issues I have read, will sometimes print stuff that would hardly make the grade with an honest pulp. Wandre's Tales, one by Arthur Davis and Fick, are the only good ones I have found in the aforesaid issues. The magazine seems aimed at rather a naive class of readers who feel that they are wicked and sophisticated. I believe that a yarn like Mother of Toads would arouse considerable sound and fury if printed in that quaint periodical. And he goes on to note that Sound and Fury is in fact the name of their letter department. So clever. Let's just talk about Spicy Mysteries because at this point... I'm thinking, like, we should shut down Double Shadow and just do a <laughs> podcast dedicated to reading every story published in Spicy Mysteries. Agreed. That can be our next thing, like like the HP Podcraft guys. <laughs> no, shut it down. Pull the switch. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't actually sell it to Esquire. He ended Welcome up selling Spicy it. Mysteries. Sorry, I'm on Spicy Mysteries now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, imagine if Mother of Toads was printed in Esquire, like the Esquire I know, we know of today. Such an awesome 
I wish that Esquire and Spicy Mysteries had like merged. Merged. And it was just Spicy Esquire. <laughs> Spicequire. Spicequire. <laughs> anyway, Ruth, go ahead. Well, he said that he had sold Wright the Mother of Toad story, from which he excised the more overt erotic details as being unsuitable for the chaste perusal of the PTA. The tale remains passable weird with sufficiently horrific ending in which they, well, I shouldn't tell you what the ending is. So Wright accepted it eventually, but with some of the eroticism cropped out. Now, the abridged version, which was printed in Weird Tales, as well as an unabridged version, we don't know what draft it's from, they are both available on the Eldritch Dark. I've read both of them, and I confess, without going into a great deal of detailed comparison, a lot of it's the same. Okay. I was wondering if one was a lot more erotic than the other. Do you think the story is erotic now, Tim? Do you find this erotic? No. I mean, there's, well, maybe we should talk about it later, but <laughs> since we're on the subject, he kind of writes it as if it were an erotic story. That's true, yeah. But he's describing, like, a grotesque creature. Why must you always hurry away, my little one? The voice of Mare Antoinette, the witch, was an amorous croaking. She ogled Pierre, the apothecary's young apprentice, with eyes full-orbed and unblinking as those of a toad. The folds beneath her chin swelled like the throat of some great Batrachian. Her huge breasts, pale as frog bellies, bulged from her torn gown as she leaned towards him. He gave no answer, and she came closer, till he saw in the hollow of those breasts a moisture glistening like the dew of marshes, like the slime of some amphibian, a moisture that seemed always to linger there. Maybe that's what Smith was into. Ew. <laughs> and again, I asked Tim, is yeah. this erotic? If he said a trim little cutlet of a lady <laughs> leaning forward. With glistening breasts, what? I guess. With glistening erotic. breasts. That might be erotic. If he, uh, if he excised the slime of some amphibian, then, you know, maybe. Suffice to say, though, that Pierre is not, does not find this erotic. No. He's not, he's not into this at all. Pierre has heard stories about this swamp witch oh he's seen her before right yeah he goes to see her periodically and his master keeps making cracks about you know be sure you don't go stay the night with her yuck 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 Ugh. the apothecary named le, le dindon or whatever would tease him about how one day he would definitely stay a night with her uh, and he should be careful not to get crushed under her weight which is even worse than like warning him against it i think which <laughs> some night um, my lad you'll remain with her be careful or the big toad will crush you <laughs> Oh. <laughs> that was my Elaine de Dindon impersonation. Uh, so who is this woman? Tim, tell us who this woman is. She is the mother of toads. Uh, she's a witch who lives in the swamp, and she makes potions for the, the locals okay. of, uh, what's the name of the town? Le Hibo? Les Hibous. It should mean the owls, unless there's any other definition, but Ibu should mean owls. And this is a town we have not previously heard of in Averone, right? No. Nope. Uh, I wonder how close it is to the Mandrakes. This is like a, it's a very similar setup to the Mandrake yeah, uh, situation where we have a person of sorcerous intent who like the locals tolerate, I guess, because they want the magic, but they say nasty things behind her back mm -hmm. with good reason. Right. Uh, and they call her mother of toads, not just because she looks like a toad. But she does, if you couldn't tell from the reading. But also because her hut and the land surrounding her hut is just swarming with toads. They're kind of everywhere. So he's in there. He's visiting her. He's there to pick up potions for his master. Yep. 
and she offers him some wine. You know, like you we, do. We were just here with the holiness of Azedorak. Right. Yep. But apparently Pierre didn't read that story because he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Stay, insisted Mayor Antoinette. The fog is cold on the marshes and it thickens apace. I knew that you were coming and I have mulled for you a goodly measure of the red wine of Zim. She removed the lid from an earthen pitcher and poured its steaming contents into a large cup. The purplish red wine creamed delectably, and an odor of hot, delicious spices filled the hut, overpowering the less agreeable odors from the simmering cauldron. The half-dried newts, vipers, bat wings, and evil, nauseous herbs hanging on the walls, and the reek of the black candles of pitch and corpse tallow that burned always by noon or night in that murky interior. I'll drink it, said Pierre, a little grudgingly. That is... If it contains nothing of your own concoction, tis not but sound wine, four seasons old, with spices of Arabia. The sorceress croaked ingratiatingly. Twill warm your stomach. And she added something inaudible as Pierre accepted the cup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so I, many. There are so many hinted at erections. I know. Everone, it's awesome, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Actually, I really am wondering what she said, whether it was something as simple as that or... I think it was Andrew Loins. I, oh, yeah, head, I would have thought Loins. She seems a subtle woman, right? I don't think she would have <laughs> gone right for penis. It'll give you a raging boner. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit subtle. This is, just a, oh, this is just the same sort of moment where you know you should not accept the drink from the person, and yet you do anyway. Although in his case, at least he doesn't see something in it, like but our time-traveling right. monk. Well, yeah, because he's not a holy person, so he has a little bit of sense. <laughs> I like this passage it, when when she dis- when uh, we get the description of the hut because um, it. I mean, who knows when like the modern cliche of witchdom was established, but this definitely fulfills it to a T, and yeah. I adore it. It's like bat wings and half dried newts and simmering cauldrons and black candles that are going all the time. Like it's it's corpse just- tallow candles corpse tallow yeah uh which is how they described me on the playground when i was a kid (laughs) but it's it's just it's it's cool like i think there is something really satisfying again i don't know if this was a cliche at the time but there's always something satisfying about a cliche that's done really really well and she's like a great cliche witch i think so i'm using cliche not as an insult but as a compliment i guess in this case i found that when i look at this story and take out the toads part if i just make her say unattractive older than him very you know very unattractive so not somebody he'd be interested in i feel like it just becomes a plain old witch story and loses a lot of its horror Mm -hmm. i guess it becomes more like a fairy tale than a horror story not that some fairy tales aren't also horror stories yeah like her her hut scary but when you think about the fact that there are slimy toads crawling over everything and watching him and when you think about her body oozing this toad-like slime that's pretty freaky so pierre i'm like what was the name of the guy in the Zidorak? ambrose ambrose yes. uh he like gives the wine a good sniff and it smells pleasant enough and then he drinks it like in one gulp right it's like he doesn't even sip it first he just goes straight for the whole thing and pretty quickly the room starts to spin around him there's this great uh, erection reference <laughs> where it says his blood, a seething torrent, poured tumultuously and more tumultuously through his members. Yep. Which is 
I don't know. My note on that is like, it's just noticeable how sexual the story is without right. being like full on pornographic. So anyway, yeah, he drinks it. Right, and this is the weird part because she didn't drug him. I mean, she didn't drug him in the way you might think that she would have. Um, instead, it's basically a glamour kind of potion. Um, and suddenly he finds her attractive. She doesn't exactly, she's not suddenly a willowy young enchantress or something. Because he seems to still see her as big, but not as, um, not the way he had been seeing her before. And he this thinks, wow, question. she's kind of hot. Is it, did he even get drugged? Isn't he just drunk? Aren't these just beer goggles? Like, I'm, I feel like there's some kind of special wine in there. I know, I'm just, I'm wine. being silly, but it is like, it, it, the effect of it is similar to, like, just being drunk and, like, settling for somebody you wouldn't otherwise feel attracted to, I guess. It's either that or walk home in the, the frog swamp. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, of course, why he took the potion in the, or the the potion, the drink in the first place yeah. because he thought it would make make him warmer when he walked home. <laughs> By the way, mulled wine is pretty gross. Is it? I've never had it. Yeah, I had it's it. It wasn't gross. bad. I don't like it. Didn't warm I wouldn't accept it. it. If the mother of toads... Wait, what's her name in French, Ruth? La mère de crapaud. Yeah, Just go if, with mother of toads. If she offered me mulled wine, I'd ask if she had any just regular wine. And then I drink if you're looking that. to get me drunk, it doesn't need to be that fancy. <laughs> Do you like me now, my little one? She questioned. This time he did not draw away, but met her with hot, questing hands when she pressed heavily against him. Her limbs were cool and moist. Her breasts yielded like the turf mounds above a bog. Her body was white and wholly hairless but here and there he found curious roughnesses, like those on the skin of a toad, that somehow sharpened his desire instead of repelling it. She was so huge that his fingers barely joined behind her. His two hands together were equal to only the cupping of a single breast, but the wine had filled his blood with a voltarious ardor. She led him to her couch beside the hearth, where a great cauldron boiled mysteriously, sending up its fumes and strange twining coils that suggested vague and obscene figures. The couch was rude and bare, but the flesh of the sorceress was like deep, luxurious cushions. Uh, it's so amazing. I, I think the... that might be the reason I'm able to read this story as much as I am, is that like, when somebody's describing breasts as turf mounds... Uh, and and luxurious cushions and it, and that he needed two hands to cup one of them and yet i don't i don't there's just something about the way he wrote it that's horrifying and h- hilarious at the same time just like turf mounds and vaguely erotic like tim was saying like it's written like it's it's disgusting and yet appealing at the same time i i feel like it's passages like this that would lead me to say things like the English language is a dangerous weapon in the tool of <laughs> Like It happens again later on, but like her breasts yielded like turf mounds is it's like, I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. And I like that they don't even go to a bed. She's just like, let's do it right here on the couch. Although I wonder if, if this is one of those situations where the couch kind of serves as her bed as well. Uh, That's that what be, I yeah. thought. That was my take was that she didn't have a formal bed bed, just a couch. So he wakes up in the morning. 
and this has to be the most horrific walk of shame ever. Well, for and first he wakes up, but he he sees her and she looks different even than she did. This is actually my a, a question I have in my notes, which is yeah. that is is there a third version of how she looks? Because it's described like she's described as particularly toad like when he wakes up, or is it just his uh, shame at the situation? Um, manifesting itself and how he sees her that's how i took it that he's like oh crap what did i do oh crap how do you say her name oh in, uh... crap <laughs> my take is that um is that he's seen her sleeping and that this is a different sort of look than what she normally has like right. that she's one of those people who has some sort of enchantment or glamour about herself like maybe she is just a giant freaking toad who likes to be a woman as well and her spell is weaker because she's asleep and not awake. Because when she wakes up, it totally she totally looks normal again to him. Yeah, like there are definitely does. hints of that in here. Absolutely, <laughs> like the concept of a one night stand and a walk of shame seems so intensely modern to me. Yes, uh, like like post nineteen. Let's like let's say post sexual revolution. Do you think? That this is based on an actual walk of shame that Clark Ashton Smith made in the in like the town of Auburn, California, when he was banging some woman that he wasn't that attracted to, because it strikes me, I, I like that's an, a really that's a lot of biographical information to read into the story, but right. it strikes me as a specific situation that probably not everybody at the time had had, and that that's why I ask. I mean, I don't. There's no way of knowing, but it just yeah. it, it, there's something so modern and specific about the setup, and so unlike anything you'd find in say Lovecraft or oh, absolutely. or Howard or probably anybody else writing at the time that I can think of. I think up until the end, you could absolutely read it as this guy just did something stupid that he's not proud of in the morning. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely supported in there. I don't, you know, you can't say that this is from Smith's general knowledge. But. <laughs> I like to think of it that way. Though. Like he, <laughs> he like one, I don't know, let's call it a Thursday morning. He got a little too drunk the night before and he rolls over and is like, oh shit. <laughs> way to I've go, got to get out of here. <laughs> you did it again. And then on his long walk back to his remote cabin, he like starts to concoct this ridiculous story in his head. <laughs> yeah, so a nausea rose within him as he remembers what happened the night before. But I, I thought this was interesting, this little passage. Uh, it says, It seemed that an incubus smothered him, weighing upon all his limbs and body. He shut his eyes that he might no longer behold the loathsome thing that was Mare Antoinette in her true semblance. I thought an incubus was like a male sex demon. It is, yeah. Succubus is a female one. Oh, so I guess it's a like an incubus compelled him to have relations with this thing. His uh, evil male sexual urge took it over. It could very well be that he's blaming his, yeah, an incubus right. kind of thing for his actions i like that he's classy enough that he almost vomits like it's like just own it man you you know you did the deed it's fine you don't need to throw up afterwards now we're having a lot of fun with this story but do you think he meant it like as a humorous no i mean you think it's out and out like grotesque horror i do well well when you write breasts like turf mounds i really think you're trying to inject some humor into it right but at the same time it is really grotesque thought it's hard to say i mean in reading it i certainly found it grotesque but there's just so much humor to be found in it when talking about it Um, because it's a little over the top yeah and i think if it weren't it would be almost impossible to read yeah Yeah, it's over the top which makes it a little amusing which makes it 
Okay, I would call this story a spicy mystery. I think he definitely sent it to the right people. To the new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he dialed it back a little, like if he was as kind of subdued as the Mandrakes with this, it might be a little more horrific, but he's just going for it. He must have just had an idea and run with it. Just like, like Pierre did. Poor Pierre. And poor Pierre almost makes it back to the village. So what, what happens when he almost makes it back to the, to the village? Toads. Several struck against his feet with a horrible and heavy flopping. He stepped unaware upon one of them and slipped in the squashy noisomeness it made, barely saving himself from a headlong fall on the bog's rim. Turning to regain his path, he crushed others of the toads to an abhorrent pulp under his feet. The marshy soil was alive with them. They flopped against him from the mist, striking his legs, his bosom, his very face with their clammy bodies. They rose up by scores like a devil-driven legion. He could make no progress on the swarming path, but lurched to and fro, slipping blindly and shielding his face with lifted hands. The toads came always from the direction of Les Ibous, as if to drive him back toward Mère Antoinette's dwelling. They bounded against him like a monstrous hail, like missiles flung by unseen demons. He gave way before them. His courage broke, and he started to run at random, without knowing that he had left the safe path, losing all thought of direction in his frantic desire to escape from those impossible myriads. He plunged on amid the dim reeds and sedges, over the ground that quivered gelatinously beneath him. Always at his heels, he heard the soft, heavy flopping of the toads, and sometimes they rose up like a sudden wall to bar his way and turn him aside. More than once, they drove him back from the verge of hidden quagmires into which he would otherwise have fallen. Now, like the lifting of a dense curtain, the mist rolled away, and Pierre saw before him, in a golden dazzle of morning sunshine, the green, thick-growing osiers that surrounded Mère Antoinette's hut. He can't get away. He can't get away. I just, I'm sorry, we just have to talk about this sentence. Yeah. They bounded against him like a monstrous hail, like missiles flung by unseen demons. Once again, English language, dangerous. Dangerous <laughs> in the hands of Clark Ashton Smith. What are you talking about? How do unseen <laughs> demons throw missiles? Like, what? I want to I, see this. I know. Are you it's, kidding? I just want demons throwing toads? That would be fantastic. Well, just imagine this as a movie. In the filming of the movie, somebody's off camera chucking <laughs> frogs at the actor. So that's how I'm picturing it. I don't know, like, you know, the point being that, that there are moments, and they happen in every story, where Clark Ashton Smith, notably talented poet, breaks yeah. through into Clark Ashton Smith, the short story writer. There's a lot in this passage, including this thing about monsters bounding against him like a mon- like missiles flung by unseen demons. Yeah. Um, they're kind of saving him, too, because he almost falls into quagmires, and they're turning him back to Mayor Antoinette's hut. And when he gets to the hut, not only is the fog lifting, but the toads just poof but who is there Antoinette of course she comes out of the hut and she offers more wine and then there's this great thing where the wind blows her skirt up and she has to like hold it down <laughs> which I just think is funny because it's like Marilyn Monroe or something she probably know. stole it from Clark Ashton Smith <laughs> <laughs> I-, I think it's probably happened to women everywhere I will not drink your wine he said firmly you are a foul witch and I loathe you let me go that's what he says right I feel so bad for Pierre at this point he just wants to go home and forget all about it. And you loved me yesternight. Oh. I feel bad for the witch because she just wants to bone. It's like, what's the harm? You know? The harm is like, okay, 
reverse the genders on this story and go. Yeah, a large, that's corpulent, true. slimy man. He drugs a young girl, forces her into his bed. She wakes up, well, seduces her into his bed, but, you know, with drugs. She wakes up, freaks out. He has his minions bring her back and then says, oh, hey, I missed you. Want to go again? Like, that's... Point, Ruth. Thank you, gender man. He went down, splashing and floundering, into water that swarmed with the numberless Batrachians. Thick slime was in his mouth and nose as he struggled to regain his footing. The water, however, was only knee-deep, and the bottom, though slippery and oozy, supported him with little yielding when he stood erect. He discerned indistinctly through the mist the nearby margin from which he had fallen, but his steps were weirdly and horribly hampered by the toad-seething waters when he strove to reach it. They swirled like a viscid undertow around his feet and shins. They swept and swelled in great loathsome undulations against his retarded knees. However, he made slow and painful progress, till his outstretched fingers could almost grasp the wiry sedges that trailed from the low bank. When from that misbound shore there fell and broke upon him a second deluge of those demoniac toads, and Pierre was borne helplessly backward into the filthy waters. Held down by the piling and crawling masses, and drowning in nauseous darkness at the thick oozed bottom, he clawed feebly at his assailants. For a moment, ere oblivion came, his fingers found among them the outlines of a monstrous form that was somehow toad-like, but large and heavy as a fat woman. At the last, it seemed to him that two enormous breasts were crushed closely down upon his face. Ribbit. <laughs> that's not how it ends. No, but that's well. That's the end of the story. Just saying. I, I like that. That one of my favorite things about this story. He does a little bit in Enchantress of Solaire too. Is is that his like first central image is also his last central image, and in this one it just happens to be enormous breasts, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, when I first read this, I thought that he, um, I thought that Pierre had turned into one of the toads and i thought that was a kind of cool ending like if all of those toads were all of her ex-lovers but right. that's not that what would have been was. a cool ending yeah, yeah. but no drowned no nope. he's drowning swooshed so phil you saw a movie of this tell us about it uh okay so i saw uh there's a movie like a horror portmanteau portmanteau however you say that word a horror movie that came out i think last year called theater the theater bizarre uh, and it's like five horror movies by five different directors. Um, and I believe each of them was given the same budget and told they could kind of do whatever they wanted to do. This crazy South African filmmaker named Richard Stanley did an adaptation of Mother of Toads. And I was really excited to see it. Um, I have a weird respect for Richard Stanley, even though I don't think I've seen anything that he's made. Because he's the man that initiated the version of the Island of Dr. Moreau that Marlon Brando was in. He was then fired and, and John Frankenheimer took it over. But I've seen him interviewed on Moreau a couple of times and he seems like a little bit nutty, but like he has a genuine respect for weird science fiction and, and stuff. And, and he obviously likes 
Like, it's a strange story to pick. Uh, that being said, his adaptation is distinctly disappointing. It's set in the modern day, so we're not really even getting Averone. Uh, it opens with, two, like, two annoying American tourists, and the woman finds elder sign earrings, and the husband is like, "Those? that's the elder sign from the Necronomicon. What? And she's like, I want to wear them. It's just that it's just made of no. Like, just no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Tell us about the Mother of Toads. Is she is she any good? Not really. Like, they, they end up at her hut because the husband is in France, like, looking for arcane things. And this the woman who sells them the Elder Sign is like, you're looking for the Necronomicon? This witch in the woods has a Necronomicon. Uh... So, yeah, yeah. So they go... And the mother of toads is not fat. Uh, and then, like, it's just it's just bad. Like, the wife leaves, and she, like, gets attacked by toads. And then the dude spends all day looking at the inside of the Necronomicon, which looks like they just took pages out of, I don't know, the first book they found on the shelves under alchemy and stuck <laughs> them in this book. Like, the story kind of follows the basic contours, but it's just bad. Like, he leaves, and the toads drive him back, but, like, the mist scenes are just sort of ugly and it's not terribly atmospheric he doesn't drown he doesn't fall in a bog he just like runs away from her again and then she shows up and she's in this like bad toad mask and the like the toad mask bites at the camera and it cuts to black <laughs> really like, oh. yeah yeah it's uh distinctly disappointing, disappointing. yeah yeah thank you so which is too bad I, we talked uh, before about how it would be great to see a fun um clark ashton smith adaptation uh but this is not that this is not that no. no you should look if you look at if you look at the wikipedia of richard stanley though you can see he looks like some kind of weird outback wizard but there's another adaptation that's in one of those dark horse um like book of uh in the dark horse book of witchcraft right. yes there's a version that's it's just the story. I don't know what version of the story, but it's just like it's Clark Ashton Smith's text, but it's mm-hmm. um, illustrated by Gary Gianni, who did uh, Monster Men, I think is what his mm-hmm. book is called, in the back of the original yeah. printing of Hellboy. He has a really oh, great okay. illustrator-esque style, kind of like old etchings. And it's cool. Like in, in the Mother of Toad looks, Mother of Toad looks appropriate in that adaptation. So yeah, for some reason, this story is the first of any of the stories we read that has had any kind of adaptation of it, right? I think any kind of film adaptation that we know of, yeah. Offhand, I can't think of anything else that's had a, a comic or film made of it. Yeah. The Garagiani worth it, the Richard Stanley. I mean, if you're really into indie horror, the other, the rest of the movies, I guess, kind of okay. Tom Savini directed one that's pretty grotesque. Uh, Why do you think they tied it so into the Lovecraft stuff? Do you think he just wanted to do a Lovecraft one and well, I, uh, they've all been I done? It, I think, you know, if there's a whole school of, of um, I don't know. I think Lovecraft uh, sells bigger. I think yeah. it sells bigger, but it's not like they didn't, I mean, they didn't They didn't sell this movie by saying there's a Lovecraft adaptation. Right. I just feel like the, the temptation to name drop specifically Lovecraft stuff when you're doing a Lovecraft story is really hard for people to to, to shirk. But even though this, like, this story has literally nothing to do with the mythos at all. No, it barely has anything to do with like Averonian mythos. Yeah, I mean... Much it less whatever. Uh, so what do you guys think of this story? No werewolves. I, yeah, no werewolves. I should, though. Yeah, she is a were-toad, huh? Or is she a were-human? No, were-were means human. <laughs> Which is actually is she's a toad-weef. Okay. Yeah, there you that go. That was not my question. Okay, my question was, what did you think of the story? <laughs> <laughs> Tim, why don't you go? Uh, I really liked it. I thought the writing was great. It was short. It was to the point. It was grotesque. It was just a really enjoyable read. I think it was good as a horror story. 
and perhaps in in a grotesque way and with those little moments that make you say what or laugh or something because otherwise you just couldn't read through it or I couldn't. It really adds a grotesquerie for me. The first time I read it through, I thought, huh, that was that was really sketchy. And so I thought about it and I tried to imagine um, Mère Antoinette as, you know, Père Antoine, uh, Father Antoine instead, and this large toad man who lures in some sort of serving girl, we'll say. And I, I tried to gender recast it in my head and I thought, yep, okay, yep, that is a straight up textbook kind of rape story and I that actually made it scarier for me to read the second time around and also it's kind of disgusting and I I wondered when I was reading it whether Clark Ashton Smith was going with the idea of it being this horror this idea that you've bedded this large gross animal or whether the scary part was partially also the idea of just uh being in bed with an overweight woman because some of it hit me with uh, as possibly that too like the fear of a smaller guy being with a larger woman but I don't know enough about him to sort out whether or not he actually felt that way. I like it. It strikes me as a really tidy, structurally a really tidy story, like on completely different than, say, um, Holiness of Ezidrak, which is, like, not a tidy, tied-up little story at all. Right. It's sort of all over the place. And I, I, I like to think... I hadn't, I hadn't... I mean, I hadn't, until we were talking about, really thought about tying it to, to Smith's biography, but I'd like to think of him... Like, it strikes me as a story where he... Where if I were to write a story like this, I would think to myself, okay, well, what's a relatively challenging animal to make seem really threatening? And like, I don't know if I would pick a toad, but it seems like the exercise here is one of like, let's make small little toads as horrifying as we possibly can. And a lot of the language seems to be just sort of taking that central image and making it, just making a real like banquet of how grotesque it can be. Yeah, he does Um, that well. And yeah, I I, like it. It's... I'd say it's definitely a horror story. I, I don't know if it's meant to be read as funny. Like, it certainly reads to us as, like, amusing at times. But I, I don't know. I don't, like, it's hard to suss out what the intention was, you know? Um, but, yeah, I liked it. I dig it. Tim, you were you're, we were ready to call it over the emails one of your favorite Everone stories. Do you want to stand by that? Or are you... Um... Just in, uh, I guess, not so much in content, more in just pure writing. Right. I think it's highly readable it's very visual yeah impressively so and it's nice and short like he doesn't indulge himself too much in this he just has an idea and rolls it out there if you feel like talking about the episode with other people or want to share your opinions with us you can always contact us via our website or on twitter or in our new shiny forums or facebook or g plus which i think tim is checking just step onto the internet, you'll find it. Yeah, just Google the double shadow. <laughs> we're spread like jelly all over that thing. That thing being the internet. And what are we covering next time? Next time we're doing The Enchantress of Solaire. Our second to last ever own story. Yeah, and which just may be my favorite one. Dun dun dun. Tune Won't in you and join see us why. next time. <laughs> Podcast exploring the weird fiction of 20th century writer Clark Ashton Smith. Ruth, don't Ow. stop him, just let him go. <laughs> <laughs>